Jam Session is a podcast where two guys who grew up in Dallas-Fort Worth discuss sports, craft beer, life, and their experiences living in one of America's most vibrant cities. If you love sports, you're going to love this show. If you love craft beer or you're curious about it, you'll love this show. Great conversations with good friends is what Jam Session is all about. Welcome. It's nice to have you here. I hope you enjoy it. I think you will. You're listening to the Jam Session Podcast. I was told that I could listen to the radio at a reasonable volume. With Cowboys insider... What's your name? Jean-Jacques Taylor. That's my name. Radio personality and craft beer expert, Matt McLaren. He's a very strange young man. He's an idiot. Comes from upbringing. And now, the Jam Session Podcast. It is indeed Jam Session. Subscribe, rate, review, hang out with us for a while. Right here on the Jam Session Podcast, sponsored as always by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you have time for healing and renewal. But right now, that moment we've all been waiting for has arrived. Ladies and gentlemen, the radio, the TV, the podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. What up, Doc? I would be the non-sexy one. It's Matt McLaren. This is Jam Session, the podcast version 267, asking simply that you prepare to be dazzled. If not entertained. Oh, we've got a lot to discuss. The Cowboys are headed to California. They open training camp officially this week. It is happening in just a couple of days. The first practice of the 2022 season will be underway in Oxnard. We've got some thoughts. We've got some thoughts from Amari Cooper, who uh, shared uh, perhaps a little bit of insight in opening the door on some things with the Cowboys. And we got some wild-ass stories, man. Saw a couple of movies, saw a documentary that we'll get into. So a lot to, to discuss here on this episode. But before we do that, is this the weekend that you had your car wreck? Or maybe you were at a business and you had your hand on a rail and the railing broke off and you fell and broke your arm or something. If things like this happen to you, your next call needs to be to Greening Law. Get the green team involved in this. The, the consultation's free. You can call them if you think you've got a case. They'll tell you straight up. I mean, they'll ask you a few questions on the phone, but they are your fierce legal competitor against the insurance companies that go through this process with you. And that, my friends, is why one of the best things you can do is pick up the phone and give them a call if you've been involved in any any kind of incident like that. Y'all should know the number by now, 972-934-8900. And it doesn't matter, man. Sometimes it's a construction injury. Sometimes it's a car accident. Sometimes it's an accident involving the business. Sometimes you're at a friend's house. You slip and fall and hurt yourself. It doesn't matter if you've got any kind of injury that's been in a business sense. Uh, go check out Greening Law. Let them lead you through this. What can be a complicated difficult process yeah they make everything easier yeah man and again consultations free they only get paid if you get compensated it's robert greening 972-934-8900 call now offices dallas texas so ol amari cooper you know him the cleveland browns wide receiver well that's yeah, my boy yeah amari cooper joined our old friends there at the ticket 96 7 13 10 the ticket in dallas talked with the Normandy Invasion, which, of course, is Norm Hitchkiss and Donovan Lewis, who are on in the middays. And it was interesting because this is the first time since he got traded a few months back that he has spoke publicly about all this. And some of his comments were, I thought, somewhat insightful, as you might imagine. You know, Mara Cooper is a guy that, that really can kind of speak his thoughts. And he talks about, more than anything, 
it it kind of pointed a finger in a couple of different directions. Like one of these, he was asked, "Did you think you were underperforming?" And he said, "It's not like I wasn't under, I wasn't scoring touchdowns, stuff like that. I was scoring touchdowns. It was just the yards, so I never felt like I was underperforming really." He goes, "It's just the way I saw the season was going. The games we were losing, as opposed to the games we were winning, we had a really good season." But the few losses we did have were all to the teams that we would potentially play in the playoffs. So I was kind of frustrated in that regard because he's talking about the offense here. He goes, because I saw the trend of me getting the ball in the red area. And I was like, man, all these teams that we're losing to, we're going to have to play them again. And if we play them how we played them originally, not taking advantage of the playmakers that we have so that we can win, we were going to lose. I was able to foresee that. That's what happened the first round. That's why I was so pissed off because I didn't want what we had not reach its full potential. But ultimately, that's what happened in the very first round. Hmm. Sounds like uh, he's taking a bit of a shot at Kevin Moore. And that's okay because uh, to me, you know, Amari Cooper is one of those guys who doesn't scream and yell. He talks pretty pretty matter-of-factly about what he believes in. And he'll complain now. And he did it several times in Dallas, but he never screamed and shouted and did – he was, he's the opposite of the emotional Dez Bryant approach. Yeah. And that's not to say that Dez's approach is bad. They're two different personalities, and so that's why they approach it the way that they do. Uh, but um, I thought he made some points, and, uh, you know, as we talk further, you know, one of the guys we got to look at is Kellen Moore this year. Yeah, it's exactly right because, you know, and, and he pointed that out as well because obviously he was asked about CeeDee Lamb, third-year wide receivers, he ready to be that number one guy. And Amari Cooper says, yes, CD's been ready. CD's been ready. It's just about opportunity. I think if Kellen decides to feature him, he's definitely ready to step, step up. CD is a playmaker. And then gives an example of that fade and talks about, you know, like what CD Lamb likes. And even Amari Cooper points this out. He's like in that Minnesota game last year. He goes, yo, I want this fade. And we've all seen what he's been able to do when you throw him fades. But again, it's another one of those things that he is talking about here when he talks about how he felt like maybe he wasn't getting used correctly. And then he points to CeeDee Lamb. Well, okay. I mean, yeah, the dude, the dude can ball if Kellen Moore is going to decide to call plays to get the ball in his hands. But see, I think that's a fair criticism, Doug. And, and here's why. It's a sense of, um, you know, and I've talked about this ad nauseum before, this whole we take what the defense gives us. At one level, I get it, I understand it, it makes sense. At another level, every defensive coordinator decides when they come into a game, hey, we're going to take away your best player and make you go elsewhere. And so you have to have answers to that when they do that. For example, Matt, don't you think in the Super Bowl they were trying to take away Cooper Cup at the end of the game? You were there. Uh, from yeah. the Rams. Yeah. Don't you think at some point they said, hey, Cooper Cup's a guy, we can't let him do this anymore. And it didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Why? Because they had breakers in the offense uh, designed to beat certain defenses, and then they had the quarterback who decided, if I'm going to lose, I'm going to lose throwing the ball to my best receiver. And so they made it happen. Uh, Matt Stafford, Cooper Cup, Super Bowl champs. Um, So some of this is on Dak, some of it's on Kellen. Kellen's got to call the plays, and then Dak has got to decide that, I don't give a damn what the play call said. Hey, CD, beat your dude, I'm coming to you. Yeah, and, and it's going to have to be at that point. And, and it feels like with Damari Cooper especially, and we've talked about this, for whatever reason, the Cowboys did not do that. They did, They at times decided not to feature Amari Cooper and go elsewhere. And like you just mentioned, you know, that was one of the frustration of watching some of those games at times where, okay, is, is it Kellen Moore? 
Is it Dak who is going through his reads and realized, I'm not going to throw it over there. That's a more dangerous throw. I'm going to take something that's more safe. Is it, is it Dak? Is it Kellen Moore? Is it Mike McCarthy not walking down the sideline? Hey, Kellen, hey, let's get Amari involved here. Let's get a couple of throws over to Amari. And I don't know where the, the breakdown is, but we went through this months ago when they traded Amari Cooper. They weren't using him to the level that it feels like they could have taken advantage of. Yeah, and I think that goes back to the whole we take what the defense gives us. We got a lot of good players. We don't have to force anything. That's great. Sometimes you got to take what you want and get the ball to a certain guy. Now, in Kellen Moore's defense, Dak Prescott, to me, thus far, has never been that kind of dude. Tony Romo was that kind of dude. And, again, I have to always qualify these things. It doesn't mean Romo's better or worse. It just means that was a different mentality. Why do you think Dez caught so many contested passes? Because Tony Romo's like, I don't give a damn. I'll just throw it up. Dez go get it. Mm. Dak Prescott has never been that kind of risk taker as a quarterback. That's why his interceptions have always been low. Um, his approach is, ah, that's kind of a risky throw. I'll do better off going over here where it's safe. And so he's got to, uh, he's got to add a little more risk to his game to make sure that his playmakers get the ball. But I understand where both parties are coming from. But the bottom line is they got to get more production out of their best players. Yeah, they do. And it's, it's interesting because, again, we are talking about the offense that led the NFL in points last year. They led the NFL in yards last year. They were third in the NFL in yards per play. This is an offense that has that capability that is loaded. I mean, they were sixth in red zone percentage last year. It's a potent offense when they want it to be. And it's going to be interesting this year when they don't have the variety of weapons with Lamb on one side and Cooper on the other side. With just the focus being on Lamb, I'll be curious to see how the offense looks. But we've talked about this before with, obviously you have something with Tony Pollard. It's up to the play caller to find ways and the head coach to get a guy like Tony Pollard on the field so that you can have a, a, offensive formations where you've got now CeeDee Lamb, Michael Gallup, Jalen Tolbert, Tony Pollard and Zeke all together, Dalton Schultz, whatever, and have the, the best playmakers that you have available to you so that you can get the ball in their hands. No, I don't think there's any doubt about that, man. And that's where Kellen Moore's got to be better. Because bottom line is, and we, we all know it, man, they played really good against bad teams on offense, and they struggled against good teams on offense. And so that to me means play calling, all the offensive concepts, everything has to be brought into question to figure out Okay, when you had better talent, why did you struggle? Were you getting beat individually, or was it something with the scheme and the execution with that? Those are questions you spend the offseason answering, and now it's time to see uh, if they've made those improvements and if they can be more productive, man. Yeah, and, and generally speaking, it used to be like wide receivers would break out in their third year. That was always when you would circle. Obviously, we have seen in recent years, I mean, just look at Jamar Chase last year or Justin Jefferson the year before, whenever that was. You know, used to be you would wait, okay, third year, here comes this guy. Like anybody who played fantasy, you would always look for those third-year wide receivers that were set to have that breakout year. And you kind of wonder if that's what CeeDee Lamb is about to experience, partly because, again, you are eliminating a major target machine in Amari Cooper. I mean, Amari Cooper had 104 targets last year. CeeDee Lamb had 120 I mean, we forget the season that CD had last year with 79 catches, 1,100 yards, six receiving touchdowns. But part of that, you wonder if it's because Amari Cooper was on the other side of the field and Lamb was not necessarily always drawing the other team's top cornerback. 
Yeah, I think there can be some to that. We'll see how they uh, deploy him this year, how much he'll be in the slot, how much he'll be outside, um, how much they'll make the, him the focal point of the offense. I mean, he can do a lot of things for you. You just got to get him to rock, man. And I think it's important that you have multiple ways to get him to rock. And so, to me, this is a big thing for Kellen Moore. He's got – they don't have that many playmakers, per se, on this particular offense. Um, I mean, guys who can go and make a big play at yeah. any moment. But the ones that they have, you got to put them in position to go. And so, that's why it's encouraging to see Tony Pollard working in the wide receiver room and running routes with the wide receivers, doing those types of things. But the whole bottom line comes to – Okay, it's great that he's doing it. Y'all going to actually use him? Y'all going to actually deploy him like that? You're going to actually give him a chance like that? Because he has to get the ball because he's one of the few guys who can go on any play. Yeah, and it's weird to me because you look at that and you say, okay, well, he had 120 targets last year. He led the team. CeeDee Lamb had 16 more targets than anybody else on the Cowboys. And you look at it and you say, okay, well, I don't know necessarily that he's going to have like a massive jump up in targets. But then you look at it and you go back to your Cooper Cup example. Cooper Cup had 191 targets last year. I mean, he basically was the Rams offense because you look at that and that's what's so interesting to me. He literally had 100 more targets than anybody else on the Rams. Next was Van Jefferson, who had 89 targets. He had 191 (laughs) targets, but they fed him the ball and they fed him the ball and they fed him the ball. Regardless of what was going on, they found ways because they say, look, this is our guy. He's our best receiver. So it'll be interesting to me to see because the way that the Cowboys tend to run their offense, it doesn't seem to center in. And and like we talked about with Dak, it doesn't seem to focus necessarily on, I don't care who's on that dude, I'm going to throw the ball to him. No, that ain't really how Dak gets down. And so, you know, it's a good question for him. Like, you know, do you feel like you need to take more chances? Uh, I'm not, you know, it's... Questions like that are hard because you're trying to get an accurate answer. And if you say it in too big a forum, the odds of you getting a real answer are slim and none. Yeah. If it's one or two people around, you get a much more accurate answer. But, yo, do you think you need to take more chances? This is why I'm asking it. You know, you can put a little more context around it. Um, but to me, and y'all know what a great football mind I am, that seems to be something that, that needs to happen. Yeah, you would think so. Because, again, Like, when we're talking about having a number one wide receiver, you can look throughout the entire NFL, and CeeDee Lamb's 120 targets, there were 23 23 other receivers or tight ends or what have you that had more targets than that. Like, everybody knows Devontae Adams is getting the ball. They threw it to him 169 times last year. Stephon Diggs, 164. Hell, even DJ Moore in Carolina had 163 targets. You know, right. so so the, the opportunity is there to feature a guy like that more so in your offense by giving him, and maybe he doesn't, nobody's going to get up to the Cooper Cup number. That's ridiculous. But you could easily get him up to 150, even 140 where he's getting, you know, another target or two a game to where you have an right. opportunity for that guy to make a play for you. No, it's, dude, it's, a, the game is not difficult, man, at one level. I call it all the time. When you play Madden, who do you get a ball to all the time? Yeah. You give it to your best players. Your best players get the ball every single play, and you have to come up with a great reason not to give it to one of your best players. Um, it's uh, it's no different than the great uh, Nick Saban story about him being quarterback in a championship game when he's in high school, and his coach he comes over to the sideline at the end of the game, 
And the coach says, I don't care what play you call, Nick. Just make sure you get it to our all-state running back or our all-state wide receiver. <laughs> yeah. That's... I mean, so it's no different than this, man. It doesn't matter. Get the ball. You know who the, who the explosive players on offense are. They need to have the majority of touches. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that, I think, is the frustration. And I wonder, I mean, do we still view Kellen Moore as this whiz kid? Because, again, I went through the numbers a minute ago. We're, we're talking about the top offense across the board in a variety of different categories in the NFL. This is the dude that pulls the strings. Yet you look at it, and when they needed something to happen in the biggest moments in the playoffs, the offense failed them. I think it's fair to ask. I mean, I think he's cool, but I think it's, it's fair to ask. Nobody gets a pass, bro. Uh, nobody does. And so when you have the drop that they've had, everybody gets questioned, man. And, and Kellen is just another guy getting questioned and, uh, you know, having his work taken a look at. Dak Prescott getting questioned this year. His work is being taken a look at. Everybody's taking, everybody's getting their work taken, examined, man, when you go through the long stretches that they've had without the type of success Cowboys are used to having over the years because it ain't been no time soon. Yeah, I mean, that's the reality of it. When you're the number one offense in the NFL and you average 31 points a game and you put up 17 in a home playoff game, you, you it, it brightens it. This is not supposed to happen. It should have been better. And I know it's San Francisco and they've got a good defense, but it, it's going to be interesting to see how this season plays out because I think Mike McCarthy and at some point I wonder if Kellen Moore is somewhat on a short leash of look it, it the time is now to win now and if this season doesn't have success what they will do moving forward but did you see this thing the other day and this was something that was making the rounds on Twitter when we talk about the Cowboys and it's like you think about it and you see this out there and you're like man yeah okay the last Cowboys head coach to take uh -oh. a team to the playoffs in two consecutive years was Chan Gailey. <laughs> that should that should appear on a on a Matt McLaren um, sports uh, trivia, trivia question. Good luck with that. Sometime in the next, sometime during football season. I mean, think about wow. that because. He did it in 98 and 99, and then people forget Bill Parcells did it in 06. Well, he was gone when Wade took them in 07. And then Wade Phillips, obviously that was a disconnect there. Jason Garrett never took them in consecutive years, and obviously Mike McCarthy didn't in his first year. So it's one of those things, like, as a matter of fact, and that's what's trippy about this franchise, man. Since they won their Super Bowls, They've only had back-to-back -back trips to the playoffs twice. And that obviously was Chan Gailey in 98 and 99, and then Parcells and then Wade in 06, 07. I mean, I, I really don't even have any words <laughs> for that, bro. I mean, I really, really don't. I mean, it's if you just... had thought about it, you would have gotten that. But, I mean, is Chan Gailey the guy that you think of? No. My God, that's bizarre. Chan Gailey's the last coach to do consecutive playoff trips? And even that was 20 years ago, and one of those was an 8-8 eight eight season. I mean, holy crap, man. That tells you everything you need to know about the state of this Dallas Cowboys franchise. Bro, I mean, it, that says more than enough. That's unbelievable. <laughs> so, I mean, it, that's what's so crazy about this. Yeah, it was over 20 years ago, the last time a coach did it. Can Mike McCarthy become the first coach in over 20 years to take the Cowboys to the playoffs in back-to-back -back seasons? That should not even be a stat with this franchise. <laughs> But it is. It is. And, it, man, when I saw that the other day, I was like, no way. And I went and immediately looked at all their records throughout the years. I was like, holy crap. 
It's true. That's exactly who it was. Chan frickin' Gailey, who coached, what, he only coached two seasons, right? And the two seasons he coached, they made the playoffs both years. Yep. And then they got rid of him and brought in Dave Campo, who went 5-11 and three straight seasons. (laughs) Stop it, man. No, it's true. He did. I mean, that's what happened. And then they got rid of him, brought in Bill Parcells. We all thought, oh, my God, we're winning a Super Bowl. And Bill Parcells never really got to the level that I think anybody thought he was going to be able to get us to. No, he got, I mean, he had him, he had him poised, uh, but it took such energy for him to get it there that, you know, a lot of those guys had tuned him out by the time, uh, by the time that last season was coming around. Man, I guess so, because that is something else. When you come across something of that nature and you are sitting there and that stat came around and I'm just, I don't know. I, it's, there's so many weird ones like we throw out all the time about these Cowboys and the franchise and the ineptitude and the bizarre mediocrity that they're just stuck in. But that is one of those. You can put that in your pipe and add it, especially those of you who listen, because we do, believe it or not, we do have non-Cowboys fans that listen to the podcast. I guarantee you some of you are going to take that little nugget and start throwing it around to your Cowboys friends, and it's totally fair to do so. Oh, I mean, I don't I don't think there's any doubt, man, and, and it should be. The expectation should be high for the Cowboys. They want them high. They just ain't reached them. Yep, they have not. Maybe this is the season. Maybe this is the season as they get to work this week in Oxnard, California, Cowboys training camp opening up, and the 2022 season is upon us. It's crazy. It's so nuts to think that we're already in training camp week. That blows my mind, man. I mean, football season, when it's here, it, it, like the first week, like when I go to my fantasy football draft in a couple of weeks and we're sitting around, it'll be like, man, who's going to win the league? Probably Nick, as we're all sitting there looking around. And then you get into football season and you're like, okay, 17 weeks, really 18 because of the bye. And it, it feels like at the beginning of it that it, it's going to be for forever before we get to the end. And then it goes Bro. by so fast. And somehow it, it's just, I mean, the NFL's ability to stay relevant throughout the entire year makes it seem like it wasn't that long ago that the Cowboys lost to San Francisco in the playoffs. No, nah, they zoom by and uh, they, um, they do a great job of making everything in the offseason a big deal. Yes, they and do. When you do that, man, it may it, it means like you've got launch points throughout the season, and so at that point, dog, it's it's like you know every every six weeks you got a big deal, whether it's the draft, whether it's free agency, yeah, uh, whether it's off season mini camps and all of that, and the season seems to fly by because of that. It does, and it starts this week. Training camp, training camp is here for the Cowboys. It's kind of awesome. Looking forward to it, man. Also looking forward, if I was you, I know Jacques does, because anytime you have a problem with your vehicle, you always look forward to getting JR over at Freeway Tire Shop taking care of it, because he does it right. He stands behind his work. He's the mechanic you can trust. And everybody always asks you, everybody does this. There are people listening to this right now, and you go, man, I do that too. When you have a car problem, you call some friends, and you go, hey, man, where do you take your car? And then they tell you, and you go, okay, cool, so he does good work. We are telling you, you don't have to call anybody. All you got to do is go to Freeway Tire Shop because he's got you. He he will take care of you. Nah, man, Jr. is terrific, man. And what what they do, man, it's he's a mechanic you can trust. Freeway Tire is a place you can trust, and that's what I appreciate most about him, man. If, if we're gonna keep it real, is that I can trust Jr. and his team to diagnose whatever is wrong with my car. And then something that we don't really think about, man, you can trust him to use quality parts to fix the car. That's a big deal, dude. 
then you can trust him to give you a fair price, and then you can trust him to stand behind his work. When you put all that together, that's what makes Freeway Tire and JR such a real deal to me, man. You take your car over there, you pay what it costs, whatever that is, but then you ain't got to worry about it no more. Yeah, that's exactly right, and it's easy to find them online where you can schedule an appointment or request a quote. It's freewaytireshop.com. Get over there, let JR get you taken care of. So we're going to open up and take this trip around the block. And I got to tell you, man, this is going to be a couple of things from Netflix because as many of you know, it was one of our listeners who had suggested the Gray Man series to me. It's a series of books. I've read all 11 books. I read them all this year. The Gray Man movie came out on Netflix. It was released on Friday. I watched it on Friday night, and I got to tell you, I was blown away. It's one of the best action movies I've ever seen. It's It nailed the books. Ryan Gosling absolutely nails the character of the gray man. Sierra Six, Court Gentry is his official name, Cortland Gentry. It's, it's so well done. And I get it because I read some of the reviews where it was like the dialogue's kind of cheesy and all. I was like, well, in the books, I mean, he's he's that way. Like he makes he's very glib. You know, he assassinates people and stuff and he makes jokes all the time about it to for a little levity in certain situations. <laughs> right. You know, and, and I mean, this is a dude who you can stab him and beat him and he just keeps coming. And he really pulls it off in the movie. Chris Evans is phenomenal as the antagonist character. It's. Because you never know, with Netflix, their movies can be hit and miss. And I got to tell you, I mean, they spent over $200 million on this. And I I, I think it's probably the best movie Netflix has ever done. Okay, now, who is the gray man? Is he a man? Is he a superhero? No, he. he, so he is... What is he? He is a... Well, in the movie, he is a CIA black ops assassin. Okay. And he's the best in the world. And so they call him the gray man because he lives in the gray. He like lives in the shadows. Like nobody really knows who he is. Nobody knows. Like in the books, they they obviously explain it a little bit more because books are always going to be able to to give you more than a movie can. But they talk about how this is a guy that has such a reputation. There are certain hits that he didn't even do that people just say, well, that had to be the gray man. Yeah. Because that's know. the only person who could, right. who could pull that and, off. And like, his name strikes fear in everybody, and, and they send teams of assassins after him trying to take him out and like all this stuff. And like it's like he's the best there is. There is not a better assassin on earth than this guy. And he, in the books, they didn't really do a good job of explaining this part in the movie, but it didn't matter. Like Some of the things that happen in the book obviously don't happen in the movie and vice versa. They take dramatic liberties and whatnot. And I was fine with it because the core of what the gray man is about and the character and really the core of the first book is this movie. And my God, it is action packed. I mean, Holy crap. It's if you like action movies, I, to me, this is elite level action movie. All right. You, you got me. I'm sold. I'm I'm telling you, you should watch it tonight. If you can, I'll go. I'll probably watch it again sometime. In, in oh. the near future, because I love these books. I love this character, and man, they do a good job. Billy Bob Thornton's in it, you know, and like I said, they changed some of the things in the book, and they inserted one character that doesn't exist in the book, but it doesn't hurt the story at all. It all works fine, and it actually probably makes it a little bit more believable in the movie than it would have been in the books. <laughs> oh, shit, ain't nothing, ooh, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I'm, man. Uh, I'm hyped. I, will, uh, I wasn't that... Dude, I think you gave a lukewarm review of the Lincoln lawyer. 
Yeah, yeah. And I watched that a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, well, I guess I suppose this is why he got a luke. It, it got a lukewarm review from Matt. Uh, this is a much better review. So, oh, I'm telling you, what's funny? Like my my brother Mark, he had no idea that we were going to talk about this. I literally got a text from him right before we started recording the podcast, and all his text says is, "The Gray Man on Netflix is a must watch." And I, I texted him back. I said, oh, I watched it on Friday. I've read all the books. So, yeah, man. I mean, it is because, I mean, you know, Netflix movies, you just you just never know what their movies like. The, remember the Irishman that came out with. Right. And that was a Netflix movie and they put all that money in it and all that. And, and it was not I don't think any of us thought it was that great. Did no, you ever watch I mean, it? That's fair. Uh can't say that I did. Yeah, it was long. It drug a little bit. It was like three and a half hours long. It was kind of, I don't know, it just didn't, it wasn't, and everybody was excited because it was a Scorsese movie. It was the, at the time, I think it came out in 2018 as I, or 2019 as I remember. It was De Niro and Pacino and Joe Pesci was coming back and Harvey Keitel was in it, you know, and, and it was good, but it, it wasn't like this, the gray man is just on a different level. I mean, this is... Did you ever see that Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, True Lies? Yeah, a long time ago. Yeah, and I remember when I first saw that, I mean, some of the stunts and, like, they blew up a bridge and all that in the movie with, like, a fighter jet and crap. I mean, or, like, when you first see John Wick or something, this is, like, one of those movies to me that kind of raises the bar in action right. flicks. I mean, this is a big-time, big-budget. They are doing all kinds of stuff. And you, you, I'm telling you guys that are listening – Ryan Gosling is exactly the gray man. The character in the movie is the dude in the books, and that, to me, was super important. Mm. How come? Well, it's like Jack Reacher. The movie Jack Reacher with Tom Cruise. Jack Reacher, right. the TV show, makes a lot more sense because Reacher was a larger-than-life, like a, almost like an Incredible Hulk-type figure in the books. So in the movies, Tom Cruise comes out, and you're just like, that's not Jack Reacher. <laughs> Like, yeah, you might he's have... Not, he's not ripped and buffed and all this other stuff. Yeah, like, you got the attitude down. I get that. I'll give that to you, but that's not the character. And this is, you know, there's one scene where he... Ryan Gosling takes off his shirt to, like, patch a wound, and he is jacked. I mean, he is Isn't more muscular that? in this movie than I've ever seen him in anything else. Wow. But, again, in the books, the gray man is a dude who is very, in very, very good shape. He's athletic. You know, he has an incredible high pain tolerance. It's almost like, you know, he sets his sights on something and you're going to have to kill him because you can stab him and shoot him and burn him and do all these things and he just keeps coming. Damn. And so sometimes, like, like there's a couple of scenes where in the movie where he, he gets stabbed and he barely even reacts. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is great. That's, yeah, that's what I was like. Is he a superhero? Is he, no, no, it's just, more like it's a nuisance. He's like, just oblivious to... He just puts his mind... I mean, he hurts. He's in pain. But, like, right. to him, he's so driven by mission that it, it just mentally oh. propels yeah, him of, to push through anything. Dudes. Yeah, it's one of those dudes like you who doesn't feel pain. Well, I, I mean, if you stab me with a knife, I pro I don't know if I'd be like, oh, man, you know, <laughs> like he is. I think I'm like, oh, my God, you stabbed me with a knife. <laughs> but then again, I'm also not a high-level CIA black ops assassin. So the other thing, so again, two thumbs up, four thumbs up, all the thumbs in the world up for The Gray Man on Netflix. I thought it was awesome. If you didn't like it, you don't have to let me know because I don't care. You're wrong. <laughs> I the, love that. The other thing that we came across, 
Well, I will say this. Unless you've read all 11 books and then you didn't like the movie, I might be curious why. But if you haven't read the books, then I don't, it doesn't even matter to me if you don't like the movie. So, right, fair enough. The other thing that we watched this weekend is a Netflix documentary that has been nominated for an Emmy for like best documentary. It's, it came out in February and we initially saw the preview for it. And like, man, that looks like it might be kind of interesting, but we forgot about it. Came across again this weekend. It's called The Tinder Swindler. And this is a documentary that exposes a dude named Simon Leviev, Leviev or whatever. I forget how you pronounce his last name. Right. He's an Israeli dude who rips off women and gets them to give him like tons and tons of money and lives like this super crazy rich life. And like, take, right. like and he exists. And it was a story of this woman who, and they met on Tinder and they dated for like eight months. And he was taking these pictures of these extravagant, like I'm on a private jet and I'm driving my Bentley and I'm in my Gucci clothes and all this crap and, and sending her like, flowers every day like she was like you would not believe the amount of flowers i am getting <laughs> you know and she's right, just right. like so into this guy and then they finally get a chance to meet and he 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 buys her a plane ticket and flies her to like prague or somewhere and they they get a five-star hotel and like the nicest hotel in in the czech republic and all this crap and she's like i couldn't believe this guy and you know he's like i love you and and i want to have you in my life but I'm the son of, apparently there is something like the Lviv family is a very well-known diamond mining family. Oh, okay. Right, right. So he says that that is his dad and that he's, a di he's in the diamond business. And that's where he has all of his money from. So she believes him and she Googles it and okay, yeah, I mean, makes sense. And she's like, this is a diamond company that really exists and everything. And right. it, so he tells her, hey, you know, eventually he needs money. And, and he goes, look, I'm having a problem with the bank. We had a, an unfortunate incident. We were attacked. Me and my bodyguard were attacked. And so I'm going to have to change all my credit cards and, and I have to go through these security measures. But me and my diamond team, you know, I just need you to loan me like $30,000. I'll, I'll give it back to you. And so this woman gives him a credit card and gets a credit card in her name. He's like, it can't have my name on it. And she sends, and he maxes it out. And then she's like, he, you need to call the American Express and tell them to raise the limit. It is okay. I will, I will send you documents. We'll make you an employee of the Diamond Company, and I'll say that you make ninety thousand a day, and they'll approve it. <laughs> and so he forges. I mean, it's unbelievable. So eventually, she gets into this dude for like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars before she realizes that she is being swindled. And then another woman who he's not even in love with. It's just a friend. He says the same thing. I'm, I'm under attack and, you know, I cannot, I'm, I'm in danger. Please, I need your help. And she gives him like 30 grand. And so it, it, it tells the story of this guy and these two women who team up to take this guy down and get his face out there so that publicly right, right. people will know this, this is a guy who will screw you over and rob you, basically. You know what, bro? <clears throat> Let me be honest with you. I'm not even surprised. I think this happens to a lot of people. And I say this because um, I had a friend a couple years ago. Um, he had a, he's a single guy. And he had a very attractive girlfriend. Yeah. And <laughs> you can't make these stories up, Matt. And so they, part of one of the things they like to do was they'd say, hey, let's go on Bumble 
and see who can pull the most men for her and women for him. Mm-hmm. You know, they that that was what they did for fun. And he would tell me about it, and he'd say, "Bro, these women are unbelievable." He say, "I'd be talking to him on Bumble for two or three or four days, and they'd be like, you 'You're my boyfriend.'" They'd start calling me Babe and Boo and Bay, and they'd be sending me money and buying me stuff. And I was like, you lying. He goes, no. And then he'd show me the screenshots, man. I'd be like, oh, my God. And I said, why do people do this? And it was the same on the woman's end, although we tend to hear that about that a bit more. Uh, but he says, you got to think about it, man. He said, we're just fooling around. He goes, but everybody on Bumble or a lot of people on Bumble are what, man? They're desperate for love. A yeah. dating site is like your last chance because the quote, I'm using air quotes that y'all can't see. The traditional way to do it hasn't worked. And so now you're going to this place. And so you're ready to be wined and dined. You're ready to be in a relationship. You're open to this. And sadly, that makes you more susceptible. Yeah, I guess so, man. I mean, and it is, you know, it, it, you're right because this original woman was like a Finnish woman. And he's flying all over the world. And I mean, he builds this. And so while he's doing that, he's also got other girls in different cities, you know, and, he, and they're funding his life. And he's so this one woman's name was Cecile. So while Cecile is giving him this money, he is doing it all over again with this lady named Eileen and, yeah. and flattering her using Cecile's money and the cycle just so on and so on. So, I mean, at it's the like end, a pyramid scheme. It, it's exactly what it is. It's a Ponzi scheme. And at the end. This dude gets arrested, goes to jail for 15 months. He is back out there right now. You can Google the dude. He has an Instagram, and he's doing the same shit again. (laughs) Wow. But the thing of it is, like, he was never, I forget what he, I think it was, he was charged with, like, passport fraud or something because he had faked a passport or something. He was never charged with fraud, with defrauding any of these women. Because basically, he just convinced they, them to do it, and it's not like he stole from them. They gave it to him. Yeah, man. He said, give me your money. I need help. And so they gave him $30,000. Dude, ain't that crazy, man? Yes. And so that, you know, at the end of the time, you go, I mean, how the hell is that a thing? <laughs> like, I, like, we're sitting there, me and the lady fiance watching it, and I was like, I don't know. Like, could you imagine if a few months into our relationship— now, to be fair, I, I didn't live this lavish lifestyle. wasn't flying around on private jets and, and showing her, you know, to where they're convinced, oh, okay, well, if I can come up with the money, he obviously needs my help. He loves me. I mean, he right. can afford it. Like, he'll pay me back because I've seen his lifestyle. He obviously can do that. And, like, he would even say, I have, I'm paying you back, but instead of the $30,000, i am going to thank you so much. Here's 50000 And he'd send him, like, a right. screenshot of, like, I made the deposit. And then she'd call her bank, and they're like, no, we don't have anything. It's not going through. And he'd be like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I sent the money. It's not my problem. Like, stuff like that. I mean, it's unbelievable, man. Dude, this documentary was just, this documentary was mind-blowing. Because he has done it to hundreds of women. They believe that he has scammed and swindled hundreds of women for over $10 million. I mean, that's like his job. I mean, that's like his career, you know? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. That's what he does. That's exactly what it is. And now he is dating, according to the end of the documentary, and like you can go look this dude up on Instagram. He posted like earlier today, and he's flying around in private jets and doing it again, and now he's dating apparently some, I think it was an Israeli model, because she thinks he's probably rich as shit. 
Well, he's got the gift to get. That's, I, I mean, mean, that's half of dude. <laughs> that is something. I don't even know. I mean, sometimes you watch movies or documentaries like this, and you know, you part of me does feel for the woman because right. all she wanted was love, and she felt that she had that. But at the same it time, really part of me goes, but don't you kind of wonder, like, he knows you don't really have a lot of money, and he's like, like, I need this money now. Send it today. And he keeps maxing out your credit cards, and you just keep raising the limit for him? I don't know. Bro, when you're in love or you're hypnotized by a certain person for whatever reason, you can convince yourself that whatever they say makes sense and it's true. Yeah. Wow, man. Um, a lot of times we do it in love, and, you know, that's what this is. Um, you know, they are, you know, because you don't expect people who say that they love you and care about you to do that to you. Um, no different than friends, man. You know, I've had, uh, and, uh, that, that happened to me basically in terms of a friend. I mean, I wouldn't even call him a friend. He was like a brother for a period of time. We were that close. Like I probably talked to this dude every day, every other day, uh, for years. And it's kind of like this. I knew what business he was in. And I knew how he got paid because he was in like the marketing business. So a lot of times, you know, um, or put it like this, you know, when you're doing independent contractor yeah. work, you do a job like I did the Sports Illustrated story. OK, I got paid probably five weeks after I did the piece. You know what I'm saying? So I knew it was coming. But until then, it ain't showed up and bills still got to be paid. And so uh, one of his big clients was Pepsi. And he's like, dude, I've been trying to get this Pepsi check. Can you float me $6,000 for like a week and a half? Now, again, this is like my brother. And when I went and got it, I said, yo, you know, this is a lot of money to me. Because I was much, I was probably in my early 30s. Yeah. So that's how long ago this was. Yeah. I was like, this is a lot of money to me, bro. So, you know, you know, I told the wife I'm doing this. But she's kicking my ass if I don't get it back whole. So... You know, go do what you're going to do. Bring me my paper back. Then, of course, 10 days later, man, I said, I'm glad. I'm sorry. I'm waiting for it. I'll keep you posted. And then all of a sudden, dog, you're like, it goes from, hey, man, what's up with this? Hey, man, what's up with that? To like, yo, where the fuck is my money? <laughs> and that basically ruined our friendship, man. Uh, because he's like, well, it's a big complicated thing. Here's $300. Dog, I gave you 6000 300 don't do nothing for me. Can I get on a payment plan? And so really that's what evolved into my, that evolved into my um, personal philosophy now, which is I don't loan money. Um, I mean, I I loan it to family or I just say, yo, here's what I can help you out with. Uh, Because I just have a simple thing. I'm a grown ass man. If I need some money, I'll either put it on a credit card. Okay. Or. I'll go to the bank myself to get a loan uh, or I'll tap into my 401k and loan it for myself. Um, I think any grown ass person who has not been through some kind of real life altering, you know, deal, ought to be able to do the same. So go tell your side story to the bank. And if you can't get it from the bank, well, shit, I don't know why you're, yeah, I'm going to run the same credit report. They're going to run. Yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> And that's how I am. Yeah, man, that, wow, good Lord. You just, I mean, you just never know. You never know? Yeah. So the other thing, yes. 
No, that's I'm just I'm just okay. Double exclamation points. Yes. So the other thing, are are you a Subway sandwich guy? Dude, I went to Subway in Birmingham next to the hotel. Did you really? I was in time, and I saw the new <laughs> menu. How was it? Did you enjoy it? I did, I took two seconds and said I don't want any of that shit. Let me do my own thing like I've always done. Okay. Well, I don't know if you'd be up for this, but next Wednesday. At a block party happening in Las Vegas. So I guess this Wednesday, 48 hours from now. Subway is giving away free sandwiches for life to anyone who agrees to get a foot-long tattoo of a logo of its new Subway series promotion. You in for that? I think, I think, I'm, I'm thinking about it. Now. It's a free sandwich for So, well, here's, here's the, the is catch. It one sandwich a day for life? I'm trying to see, but here's the deal. Anyone who agrees to get a tattoo of a 12-inch by 12-inch logo, Subway logo, on their sternum or back will receive free sandwiches for life. The people who do that will receive $50,000 worth of gift cards every year. From Subway? Yes. So apparently, I'm, I'm 50, guessing that would... $50,000 at Subway? Yeah, I mean, that, that seems like that's more than... That seems like a lot. I don't think you could eat $50,000 at Subway. Well, I mean, let's say, what okay, I so... the other day at Subway cost more than I want to spend at Subway. Yeah, man, I mean, that, that uh, seems like... I mean, if, if you're spent... Like, I mean, even 20 bucks is like $7,000 a year. I mean, I don't understand. So, that can't... I mean, that's what it says in this article. I don't think that... That's only... Yeah, you're right. That's like... What I bought the other day cost $17, which is way too much to spend at Subway. Yeah, I was going to say, like, even if you spend $20 and you went every single day, you're still spending right. maybe, maybe with, I mean, $7,000, $8,000 a year. So they're going right. to give so you $50,000 my... of gift cards every year? Well, you know, are they restaurant gift cards? Are they, you know, you know, the, as we all know, what, every company's own, there's only like seven companies that own yeah. everything in America. So maybe it's all the other companies that own Subway. I don't know, 50 G's a year. That's worth looking into. I don't mind putting that on my back, bro. Yeah, and I mean, the logo actually doesn't suck, but I mean, a foot, I mean, you're talking about a 12 by 12 inch logo on your skin. <laughs> I might do that. What do you, what, what do you got to do? It's in Las Vegas. Damn, so I got to get to Vegas. Yeah, you got to go to this block party in Vegas, and whoever agrees to do that, you get the tattoo from some right guy there. who's a two-time winner of Ink Master. All right, so it's going to look good. I mean, I, 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 there's a picture of the logo. The logo, I mean, it's a cool-looking logo. I don't know if, if... I mean, it's a yellow and green, like, subway colors. It says the subway, and then it says series in big letters, established 2022 underneath the word series. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's legit, man. Oh, man, we got to think about this. 50K a year for a lifetime. I got to know what the other gift cards are. Yeah, I mean, well, there's Subway gift cards. Everything's so, a Subway gift card? Yeah, I mean, because you can... can do it, that's what the thing is. You can eat at Subway. I, I guess they're saying like that That allows you to be able to eat every meal three times a day, 365 at Subway, I guess. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you would do with it. I, I'd probably sell them at a discount. Yeah, you'd ha at some <laughs> point, you'd be like, hey, man, where do you want to go for lunch? Well, I have to go to Subway. Why? Because I got a freaking back tat, and I have to eat at Subway. <laughs> Okay, I probably eat at Subway, right? I used to eat more frequently. I probably eat at Subway. <sighs> Excuse me, I yawned on loud. Uh, five times a year. Yeah, I, I don't even remember the last time I ate at Subway. 
Because, and I think I mentioned this before, like if I was going to go to that type of a place, I would go to Jimmy John's or I would go to Jersey Mike's. Right. It's usually, I told you, it's usually my on the road go to because yeah. it's the lesser of several evils. And you can, I mean, you can go wrong at Subway, but you have to, I mean, it's hard to go wrong with a turkey breast sandwich. I mean, this know? is so Yeah, nice. I don't want the bread, but, yeah. you know, basically it's hard to go wrong with that. If you just keep it to that. Oh, I see. So, yeah, they're only offering one 12 by 12 tattoo. So only one person can do this. Then others, they are going to allow four people to get a two by two tattoo, like two inch by two inch tattoo. That earns them free subway for a month. Or a three by three inch tattoo earns you free subway for a year. And so what happens is if you do that, then you get $4,380 for the year so that you can get sandwiches. That sounds a little more reasonable. I got to tell you, like, if I had a sleeve and I had a bunch of just different stuff on there, I'd throw that logo on there, like a a three-by-three-inch logo. That's not too bad. For free sandwiches for a year, something like that, why not? (laughs) Then you got a great story to tell people. You're walking around. They're like, hey, there's Subway Arm Guy. like, what's up, man? Nothing wrong with that. That might work. Yeah, so there you go. Anyway, for those of you that are listening, our Las Vegas listeners, maybe go to the block party and see if you can get free Subway. If you get it for a year or for life because you heard about it on the podcast, at least invite Jacques and I out and treat us to some Subway. Yeah, drop a sandwich on us. I mean, I, I think that's a fair request. But if you can't get to Subway, unfortunately for the tattoo, and you're still hungry, might I suggest Smokey John's Barbecue instead? Because they've got sandwiches. Oh, yeah. They've got barbecue sandwiches. They also have the jam session bowl. They have everything you could ever possibly imagine. And we've mentioned this before, but I bring it up from time to time. The one thing about Smokey John's, well, one of the things I like, and I love this about them, is whether you order the Steve White off the secret menu, which is their fried catfish, whether you order the jam session bowl off the secret menu, or you're just going in there and getting ribs or brisket or whatever it is, all of it, like you can't go wrong. Like, obviously, we think it's cool to order the jam session bowl because they did it for us. And you're kind of like in the secret club and nobody knows about it because it's not on the menu. But reality of it is, if you just want to go in there, you're like, I don't know, that's a lot for me. I don't want to eat that much. Then it doesn't matter what you order. You're going to enjoy it. No, man. That is the beauty of Smokey John's is it's fantastic, bro. Everything on the menu is good. They do a lot of it. It's all made from scratch right there. Uh, Off of Mockingbird, man, it's fantastic. And. I got to tell you, I've never had a bad thing there. I'm down for the smoke wings on Wednesday. That's a big deal. But the jam session bowls off the chain. I've yet to meet the person who said it wasn't better than advertised. So I encourage everybody, go get it. It feeds too. And unless you're just starving, you're going to have leftovers. And as we always like to tell you, you don't even have to be in DFW. You get a little taste of Smokey John's, man. And go to the website, SmokeyJohns.com. Click on the marketplace. You can have the, the uh, sauce that Matt loves to drink straight from the bottle or the rub that they use on everything. And get a little taste of Smokey John's wherever you are in just a couple days. Yes, please. It's delicious. You're go- it's like a reward for yourself. A reward for you. A treat for your mouth is waiting for you at Smokey John's Barbecue. I'm telling you. Smokey John's Barbecue right off Mockingbird right there in Dallas. Also, of course, man, I know that you guys in Texas are dealing with an insane drought, like an insane. I see the numbers that Pete Delkus, the WFAA meteorologist, tweets out all the time, like the heat, the drought, the lack of rain, something like there hadn't been measurable rain at DFW Airport in like 39 days or some crap. I was like, oh my God. I mean, I hate to, to say it, but 
it poured down rain here on Friday afternoon, and then it poured down. Th- or that was Thursday afternoon when you were in town. I was thrilled to see it. Yeah. <laughs> and then it, it rained again here this, today for like two hours. I mean, so I, I get that. But the, the point being like, I mean, that weather plays havoc with foundations. And, and we all know that. And it's an unfortunate reality of being in Texas. If you are noticing any of those foundation problem signs, the cracks, the sticking doors, things like that, you have got to immediately call HFX Foundation Solutions. Aaron and his guys, they're local, they're family-owned, they service all of Dallas-Fort Worth, wherever you're listening in the DFW area, they can get you taken care of, and they'll come out, and it's a free, no-obligation inspection. I mean, they'll inspect it for you. Maybe you have a problem, maybe you don't. They may tell you, hey, you know, you've got some problems, and then you can decide how you want to handle it moving forward. They'll be with you. But man, HFX Foundation Solutions, this is a time of the year that you got to pay attention, man. Dude, they specialize in slab, pier, beam, damage, and gutter installation. They use only the best materials, and they pride themselves in their extensive industry knowledge. It doesn't get any better than HFX Foundation Solutions. Give them a call, 817-770-1074, 817-770-0174. Tell Aaron to come on out there, give your house that colonoscopy, as we call it, and the peace of mind that comes with a clean report. Make it happen. It's hfxfoundation.com if you want to check them out online. Support them. They support us. But I wanted to bring this up as we continue here. And Allen's own Kyler Murray got paid. Yeah, baby. As a matter of fact, this is what I think this is hilarious because remember, everybody's freaking out about paying Dak Prescott. And now you look at it and Dak is tied as the seventh highest paid quarterback in the NFL now with Matt Stafford. Kyler Murray is now the second highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers, when he did his new deal, is making an average of $50 million a year. Well, Kyler Murray is checking in at just a notch above $46 million a year. Kyler Murray, who, and, and look, Arizona has been better. They made the playoffs last year. They had a winning record. It's still true to say Kyler Murray, three years into his career, has a losing record. Kyler Murray has never won a playoff game. Kyler Murray just got paid six million dollars a year more than Dak Prescott that's the nature of the beast man and what it means is that my friends is why you've got to uh pay guys you got to read the tea leaves when it comes to paying guys and understand the price always goes up and if you like a guy go ahead and get it done man before the price goes up and then you just got to understand man that it's not a matter of what you think is worth it's, that's the going market. That's what it. That's what that costs. If you want a Mercedes S class, it costs a certain amount of money, bro. It's just what it costs. You can go mm-hmm. low in a range, or you can go high in a range, but it costs a certain amount. Yeah, and we talked about that all the time about when Dak was going through this process. This is what if you, and it doesn't matter whether you guys think that you can win with them or not. It matters if the Cowboys believe that because if the Cowboys and it didn't have to be Dak Prescott, whatever quarterback they believed was going to be the guy, that's the going rate for a quarterback that's going to be one of the top 10 quarterbacks in the NFL. And and, and we went through the list a week or two ago. According to all those people that were polled, Dak Prescott is the 10th-ranked quarterback in the NFL. To have a quarterback on that level, (laughs) this is what it costs. That's the money that it costs. And as a matter of fact, he's going to continue. At some point here, maybe this offseason, by the end of next offseason, he'll be out of the top 10. Because Joe Burrow's getting paid, Justin Herbert's getting paid, there's a chance that Tua might get paid, Lamar Jackson still needs to get paid. 
all these guys that are in the NFL now, forty million is the the bottom. Like you're you're going above forty million, and really for the guys that are above that, you start the negotiations at forty five, forty six. Basically, it's a good time to be an NFL quarterback. Man. Now you got to understand, there's only thirty two dudes who can do this job in the world, man. And so even if you're a bad one, you're going to be making eighteen to twenty million, and because why? That's half of what the good ones make. So even if you can't play. You know, those quarterback gurus, the checks will keep on coming because everybody wants to hit that NFL quarterback lottery ticket. Yep. I mean, that's the reality of the situation in which we live. I wasn't surprised. I don't know. To me, if I'm a Cardinals fan, I, I wonder about Kyler Murray the way that the Dak hate hive probably wondered about Dak Prescott. But you look out there, and it's much like we were saying, and this is always the argument. Okay, Dak Prescott's not Aaron Rodgers. I agree. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Pat Mahomes. I'm 100% with you. Who else are you going to go out and get, realistically go out and get, that's better than Dak Prescott? Much like Cardinals fans would have to ask themselves, who can you go out and get? If you don't want to spend 46 a year on Kyler Murray, who can you realistically go out and get that's better than what Kyler Murray has been for you? It's, uh, It's that simple, man. And the answer is nobody, really. And so you pay the price and you hope that he, he um, fulfills his pedigree, lives up to his draft pedigree, and becomes a player you hope that, that he was when you drafted him number one. Uh, and when you take a cat number one, man, you're always looking for reasons to extend him and sign him. Kyler's giving you enough reasons to do that. You just wonder how much better can he get and can he ever take him to an elite level. Yeah, and he's one of those guys, too, that I feel like is much like Dak. I don't know that he makes people – he's such a gadget – like player because he can use his legs. I mean, he's a weapon. We all know that with what he can do, but he definitely feels like he's one of those guys. Like there's a reason why you need the Deandre Hopkins of the world and you need some pieces around him. The running game in Arizona was better than it had been since he had been there. And, and again, it's another one of those young quarterbacks. Oh, okay. This dude needs some weapons much like Joe Burrow needs a Jamar chase and a Tyler Boyd and a Joe Mixon. They're not doing it by themselves. You got to give these guys weapons. Absolutely, bro. And that's why you continue to go back. The frustration with the Cowboys, you invest like that in Dak, but you don't invest in what you're putting around him. Because if you're going to invest in the quarterback and you're not going to invest in making sure you have the best pieces available around him, then what's the point in investing? Right. What's the point in the quarterback to begin with? And that's the whole thing. Yeah. It's a waste. And I wonder if the Cowboys are going to sit back and look at this and go, well, I guess we did kind of waste money. We didn't give Dak. I mean, all jobs do this, or they should do this. How do we set you up for success? What tools do you need so that you can do your job the best that you can, which is a benefit for you and a benefit for the company? Dude, that's the way it's supposed to be. That's what you're supposed to want to do is, is handle business that way and, and help people succeed and put themselves in a position to succeed. Why else, why else would you be involved in something like that? I have no idea. I don't Dude, know. I but. don't either. I, it just makes no sense to me. Um, you've got to give people the tools to be successful. And, you know, the best administrators know that. Uh, and the best administrators I've talked to, like I was talking to a principal one time, and this was in the last couple of years. And we were talking about something. I noticed that he said he'd been principal of the year like three or four different times at yeah. three or four different schools. And he was being humble about it. I was like, dude, come on now. There must be something. You keep getting this to different places, so you must be the man. What do you do? He said, I really don't do anything. I said, dog, stop it. What do you do? He said, okay, this is literally what I do. 
I send out an email to every teacher and I said, no matter big or small, tell me everything you need to succeed. And so they sent all these emails in. And he said, most of them have repetitive stuff on there. Mm. He said, and all I do is go out and fill their list as much as I can uh, so that they have no excuse not to do the best that they can. Yeah. <laughs> he said, and they feel good because I'm usually the first person who's ever asked them what they need. And then I try my best to deliver just about everything that they, leave, that they say that they need. And so when I don't deliver, I've given them so much that they go, well, okay, he just couldn't get this one thing done. And he goes, they're grateful for that support. And so they go teach their ass off. And I end up getting these awards, but I haven't really done anything. I mean, that's the way to do it, man. That's what you have to do. And, and yeah, I mean, again, in, in any line of work, like the best that you can do is, okay, what do you need to be successful? Because I hired you and I want you to have success or I put you in this position so then I'm going to go out and find ways to acquire those things so that you can be successful. Yeah. yeah. NFL teams are doing the same thing. So Kyler Murray, add him to that list, man. I mean, 46 and some cheese. And I, I, it's just, again, Kyler Murray is getting paid more than Pat Mahomes. So all of you pissed off about Dak Prescott, maybe direct your hate now at Kyler Murray. I don't know how this works. So the <laughs> other thing, did you see spring football? This is going to be interesting because we had the USFL this year. Obviously, it was based in Birmingham. I went to a game. I enjoyed it. It was cool being in a city that doesn't have a pro sports team that you have a USFL team, and the city here got really behind it. Like, they were pulling in crowds. I think I forget what they averaged. It was something over 10,000 a game, which isn't horrible for essentially minor league football. But right. you look at this. The XFL is coming back. It announced its cities today here on Sunday as we record this. What's interesting is the USFL waited until April, and they're doing it again next year. The XFL is beginning the weekend after the Super Bowl. All right, good for them. Which is interesting. We're not giving, we're not giving you any break. Yes, yeah, I don't know about that, but they, they announced the eight cities that the XFL is going to be in, and they're not doing what the USFL did. Again, all eight teams were living and played in Birmingham. The XFL is doing it like they a normal league would do. So the cities that they are in are five cities that were previously in the XFL and three new ones. So the all the eight teams are Arlington, Houston, San Antonio, so three Texas teams, Orlando, Las Vegas, Seattle, St. Louis, and Washington, D.C., Las Vegas, Orlando, and San Antonio are the new teams that weren't in the XFL that failed a couple of years ago. But what's interesting about this, I did not realize this. It says the venue that they will be playing in in Arlington, Texas, is Choctaw Stadium. Yeah. And I was like, Choctaw Stadium? What the hell is that? I didn't know that they renamed Globe Life Park. <laughs> oh, silly me. I'm sorry. The old Rangers yeah. ballpark in Arlington apparently now is officially known as Choctaw Stadium. Yeah, which is good. It means there's much less confusion these days. Yeah, I had no but idea. No. When did they but do that? Know, I don't know, sometime in the last year. But, you know, that's where they played a bunch of football, high school football playoff games. So it was all good. Okay, man. I mean, that's, I don't know. That's, we'll see about the XFL, but that's what they're doing. They haven't announced anything else. They just announced the cities and, you know, we'll see how it goes with that competition. But the USFL, actually, for what they wanted to accomplish, and that's what's funny is people are like, oh, nobody watched it. They, well, enough people watched it where they're bringing it. Year two is going to happen. 
And apparently they did fairly decently in year one as far as like the way what their goal was. Like their goal was never to have like 100 million people watching it like you watch the Super Bowl. Right. But what they had in place previously, and there were multiple times where the USFL was like it beat whatever else was up against it on Saturdays and whatnot. So you're just trying to win your race. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, because that's, that's what you're selling advertisers to say. Hey, we beat out these teams when we were watching, so that's all that really matters. So you and I, it was, I mean, it was wild. We actually got a chance to hang for a bit on Thursday night because you were in Birmingham for your media day at, at the SWAC, which is headquartered in Birmingham, along with the SEC. But the SEC, oddly enough, for only the second time in its history, decided to have their media days in Atlanta this year. <laughs> But how'd you enjoy your day in Birmingham? Uh, my day was fantastic. Uh, you know, I went there with a purpose for some projects I'm working on uh, for ESPN and some other people. And I'll, I'll tell you what my goal was at Media Day, bro. Because you, you have to, I've learned over the years that you have to have goals depending on what you're working on, what you're trying to accomplish. My really, my big goal, okay. I'm going to assume I'm not getting a lot of listens from uh, HBCU sports information directors. Okay. We'll see, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we will. My big goal really was to come away with the phone numbers for seven to eight of the head coaches in the league. The guys who, who, are, who have the best teams in the league and who receive the most media coverage. And I wanted to do it because a lot of times I've discovered this at the, at the collegiate level. You know, I'm working on a story on Tuesday. I call Matt. They say, Matt, can I get Coach Taylor uh, in the next couple days for this piece I'm working on? Yeah. Or I need to get Coach Taylor for this piece I'm working on. Well, let me check with Coach Taylor, see what his availability is. So he's got to get his availability and get back to me and see if it matches with mine. If it does, we can probably set it up. If it doesn't, then he's got to go back. And it, it could be a – basically, by the time you get it set up and talk to him, the story that you want to work on could be over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. So I figure at the HBCU level, they're starving for attention. They've seen what Dion gets in terms of attention. And so basically, bro, I said, okay, I need to get about eight phone numbers while I'm here. Mm -hmm. And so I was tracking people down. And I started with, hey, Jacques, Jacques Taylor, blah, blah, blah. Most of what you've read about Deion Sanders Jackson State over the last year on ESPN I produced. Oh, I also wrote that Sports Illustrated story that you may have seen last month. I'd like to do for you guys some of what I'm doing for them. They don't have to have all the attention. And I go, and I don't want to have to go through people to get to you. <laughs> I said, so if you give me a number, if I hit you, I pr and here's the, here's the selling point, Matt. I promise you, if I say I got three questions, I need five minutes, Yeah, I'll have three questions that need five minutes. It won't turn into 20. And you'd be shocked, Matt. They were all down with it, bro. Nice. So I left with, with a bunch of phone numbers that I needed. And then the way I operate is I just text somebody, hey, Matt, I need to talk to you for uh, six or seven minutes. I got about five questions for you. What's a good time to call? Mm. You set your schedule. You tell me. I go, boom, I got you. I hit you up. It's good. Yeah. And then I double back and say, hey, just so you know, I talked to your coach today for a couple minutes. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair, I think, you know. 
That's well, the way to work I mean, it. I mean, I don't, don't want to blow up all the protocol. Yeah. But for me, it just makes life a lot easier. Because especially if you're working on some new stuff, you, you don't have all this time for them to get back to you. Uh, there's some guys, obviously some sports information people who really get it and go, okay, let's, let me get on it and make it happen. And you can, you know, you don't have to use these tactics with them. But a lot of them are overworked and un- overwhelmed uh, by the workload. And it's real, man, because at that level – most of them are doing it all, bro. They ain't had no assistance. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So they are they are truly overworked and can be overwhelmed. And this is just my little way of making life easier for them. Yeah, because I bet it is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, because these I mean these are small schools. I, I think I don't know that any of them would have an enrollment. I mean, maybe like Florida A and M or Prairie View might be ten thousand. Yeah, but I mean, they, they, some of them are a little bigger than that, but. The main thing at a sports level, if you just understand they're trying to produce what a college program is supposed to produce. But when you don't have any help, don't forget, man, you also got to do basketball and some other stuff. And if you're trying to do the job properly, properly being the key word in terms of notes and stats and all this other stuff you got to do. Yeah. Bro, that takes that just I mean, that's a long time. That's a lot of that's a lot of late hours, bro. That is a lot of late hours. Well, I'm glad you were there to help them. Yes, I was. No, it was a good time, though, because uh, I was walking around with that Sports uh, sports Illustrated aura around me for this particular one. So I had a lot of BDE when I was walking around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah, plus, and, and <laughs> you know, I'm also going to tell you all this. This, is, this awesome. is symptomatic of BDE when you're feeling good about yourself professionally. And... Um, you know, I've also, I'm also, I also think I look good these days. I know y'all find that shocking and surprising. But when you combine the two, it, will, it, it, it creates a lot of BDE, which well, is good. That's good news, man. I'm glad you've got that rolling with you. <laughs> Everybody needs to strut around with a little bit of that from, some, from time to time, yeah, I would but say. I, but I was fortunate enough to catch up with Matt because we didn't even know if that was really going to be a possibility. Yeah, which was good. Got to hang for a little bit on Thursday night, which was fun. Yeah, I took an Uber to the uh, to a brewery. I even had a beer. I hadn't had a beer in uh, several months. Which is amazing. Well, your friend Ryan Hennessy, the drink. Um, the drink. He bought it for me. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought about. Uh, he bought me a beer. He said, you want a beer? I said, well, if you're buying, because I'll never buy a beer uh, without Matt around. Yeah. I said, uh, I'll, t- I'll take whatever stout that they're offering. And I got to tell you, man, for someone who's not had a beer in several months, it was quite delicious. I, I was afraid I drank it too fast because I was feeling somewhat buzzy. <laughs> uh, and then I had the worst gas the next day, and I couldn't figure out if the beer had created Yeah, that. it probably did. It probably did. Okay, I feel better because, seriously, bro, now we're about to have a, a very brief flatulence conversation. And this is a real conversation. A lot of times I have gas. Mm-hmm. Like that, and it's literally just air. It's, it doesn't. I'm not saying it's because it's mine. No, we all have air. It, I got you. But it really doesn't stink. It's just literally just air leaving my body. And I tend to think it's because I eat clean most of the time. Well, bro, we'll refer to it as that stout gas the other day. I was like, I can't even light a match in this room. Oh, good will, lord! Yeah, it might blow up. I mean, it, it was it was some of the worst smelling gas. You know the kind where you're trying to get away from yourself and you realize... Yeah. No, I understand. Well, this is, this is really impossible. I'm just going to have to sit here and suffer because I can't stop tooting and the smell is just just Like just rotten terrible. eggs mixed with bananas inside of a dead Dude, body. 
that's pretty much it. And yeah. I was shocked because it's been so long since I've been like that. And all I could think of was maybe the beard did it. I, yeah, I guarantee you it did for sure. Because it wasn't your system wasn't used to it, and, and there could have been you know I don't know I forget what they have a couple of different stouts, but one of them you know with the flaked oats and everything probably threw you for a loop a little bit. Yeah, bro. So yeah, Hennessy's anyway, a good dude though, man. I mean, he's a talker. He can talk. Yeah, I didn't say much, but that was okay. <laughs> I was gonna say yeah, he's. He's one of my my media buddies out here because he's one of the sports reporters on the local NBC affiliate here in Birmingham, and he's a good dude. Nah, nah, he's a real good dude, real good dude. Matter of fact, he followed me on Twitter the day uh, Friday. Oh, there the you go. Day. Little Ryan Hennessy uh, in your life. That's good news. And and I did what I don't normally do, which is follow him back. My God, you got he got a follow back from Jacques. Now I want y'all to understand. I don't follow. I don't. I don't not follow back because I'm like I think I'm arrogant or I'm this or that. I don't follow back because I don't care about a lot of people's content, and I only want content in my feed for the most part that I care about. That's how I am. I don't have. So it's not a personal thing. Like oh, follow. No, it's really like I don't want to hear. Like I could follow you back. You follow me essentially because you want Cowboys information essentially. Well, if you if you get off on guitars and aliens, like I don't want to follow you because I don't want to read about guitars and aliens. I don't want that all in my feed. Yeah, I feel you, man. I mean, it's I do so not. That's why follow I don't follow a lot, a lot of people. Back. Yeah, and generally speaking, the people that I do follow, it's the exact same thing that you're talking about. Like I want information, whether it's something yeah. or my show, or like if it's somebody that I personally know. It, it, right, then I follow, follow those Ryan. people back. Like, that's why I follow Ryan back. Yes, that was, that, was, uh, that was actually being polite. Yeah, in, in a sense, like there's a lot of media people that I personally know that, you know, might have moved on and cover different teams. You know, I, yeah. I, I follow people on Twitter that I, I just specific writers for different, especially when college football now. You know, I probably follow at least one writer from every SEC team because I want to see like specific content like you're talking about, even though maybe I don't know the person. And generally speaking, I don't give a rat's ass about Missouri. But, right. you know, this dude writes a lot of in-depth stuff on Missouri Tigers football that I need to peruse from time to time. There you go. So stuff like the that. Same way. Yeah, so yeah. I, I hate to bring this up because I didn't know how you felt about it, but one of your good friends that you grew up with is no longer the American record holder in the 200 because... Well, it's funny you should mention it. Michael Johnson, who ran that unbelievable 19.32 at the Olympic Games in 1996, stood as a world record for years until Usain Bolt broke it. It was still the American record until just Thursday night, Noah Lyles set the new American record, 19.31 seconds in the 200. I just sent you a text, man. Oh, you did? Oh, let me see here. What does it say? Oh, there it is. It's a screenshot from Michael Johnson. There you go. Look at that. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that is pretty amazing. I mean, it is amazing. So amazing, The text man. I sent Mike goes, bruh, it's literally amazing you can set a record and track and keep that thing for 26 fucking years. I'm still amazed after all these years the shit you accomplished. And he hit me back. He said, thanks, brother, with an exclamation yeah. point. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's very cool, man. I mean... God, I remember that with those gold shoes. I mean, that was yeah. I mean, you can, y'all. I mean, it's really hard to put it in perspective that me and Mike, but I mean, we were really good friends in high school, and I tell the story all the time. You know, 
I was a freshman. I mean, I was a sophomore. He was a freshman. We got dropped off at the bus stop, and we literally walked home together every day after school. Yeah. Uh, because I don't think he started doing track maybe even his sophomore year because I remember walking home from school with him. Or maybe it was a track offseason. Track hadn't started yet. Uh, track practice hadn't started yet. But then and because he lived around the corner from me, probably probably a, uh, probably a five or six-minute walk from my house because my house was the first one, then he walked another five or six minutes till he got home, yeah. maybe ten minutes. But uh, my senior year, his junior year, I would drive up to Kimball every day and scoop him up off the bus, and we'd ride to school and, you know, drive to school every day. Um, and then, obviously, he had track practice, so he'd ride the track bus back. But that's how we did it, man. And uh, so he's one of my boys. He, he cut our grass because I had asthma. And so uh, my mom paid him to cut our grass when uh, Mr. What's-His-Face quit cutting our grass. Yeah. And I don't need to hear any, any shots from the peanut gallery. <laughs> uh, you know so he's he was supposed to be in my first wedding that's how close of friends we were but he was training for the for the olympics i think or the world games or something and he called me up he's like man i got the drake relays coming up and i can't make it that i was like dude you're not gonna blame me for whatever you don't accomplish so you know we good yeah it's uh, yeah so we just kind of been in touch over the years like that well, it's amazing because you're right, and, and you think about it. I mean, people forget, you know, that record that he had. Michael Johnson ran, man, I think it, they were both. From 1968 to 1932, which is insane. Yeah, and, and, you know, there was a couple of records. I think it was like 1972 was the old record that was set in 1979. Right. Then Michael Johnson broke it twice at the Olympics because he broke that record and ran a 19-6. Then he ran again in the gold medal final, a 19-3-2, that stood all the way until Usain Bolt broke it. You know, I mean, Bolt broke it, ran a 19-3 flat, and then, you know, like a year later, that insane 19-1-9 that you just wonder, yeah. like, is that the fastest a human can run? Yeah. But I you mean, never, yeah, it's, somebody, it's, it's weird. because Somebody you, will get it at some point, I think. You think about it, so originally, the original record at, of, of 20.6 from 1951, and here we are, and however long ago that was, all those years back, and now we're like a second and a half faster at the fastest, that's, which is crazy. That's a trip, ain't it? it all is. those years that we've shaved just a second off the... Yeah, I know. And you just all wonder... All the technology, all the training, it's just a second. Yeah, and sometimes, I mean, eventually at some point along the way, you know, that that next Usain Bolt type freak is out there somewhere. You know, I mean, I mean, he, that the nine, the 1919 and the 200 and the nine, five, eight and the 100, which I mean, that's just insane. Well, you know, the thing I was trying to figure out if all the greats have some quirkiness to him, you know, Mike had that super duper freaky stride where he was striding. His stride was short. Most people, most sprinters, their stride is long. His was incredibly short. But the turnover rate was so fast, it made up for it. And then Bolt, being 6'5", his stride was so incredibly long. Um, so you wonder if there'll be, you know, some kind of freak of nature like that, um, you know, will, will, will be the next record holder. Yeah, somebody along the way. And that'll be, I mean, if anybody can ever run faster than what Usain Bolt did, I mean... I'm not like a huge track guy. I liked watching Michael Johnson because he was local and, and he was American. And then Usain Bolt was so fast that watching him, you just, you know, it, it, he was enjoyable. So we'll see right. if somebody else comes along. 
But that, my friends, is the Jam Session podcast for today. We will have another episode dropping for you on Wednesday. So be looking forward to that. We appreciate all of you, and we will talk soon. Thanks for listening to the Jam Session podcast. Make sure to find us on Instagram at Jam Session Cast. Of course, you can also find us on Twitter at McMatt Radio and at JJT underscore journalist. Our podcast is sponsored by Greening Law, a personal injury law firm in Dallas, Texas. Greening Law fights the legal battle so you'll have time for healing and renewal. Give them a call at 972-934-8900. Greening Law, Office, Dallas, Texas. As always, thanks to Purple Elephant Music for the music you hear at the end and the beginning of each episode. He, of course, is the radio, TV, and now podcast star, the sexy Jean-Jacques Taylor. And me, I'm just a guy, Matt McLaren. We'll catch you next time right here on the Jam Session Podcast, available everywhere you listen to podcasts.